You're listening to Soul Crush, a podcast dedicated to spirituality, sexuality, and sharing stories that inspire the soul. We release an episode each new and full moon devoted to healing the shame that binds us and illuminating the infinite possibilities and courage of the human spirit. We recognize infinite universal divinity as who we really are and help move others away from ideas and beliefs around God and love that are oppressive. We support the fullest expression of our soul's highest callings to be of service in this world. This is a celebration not of the I or of the me, but of universal love and reverence for the earth that we walk upon. I am your grateful host, Adriana Rizzolo, and I am humbled and honored to be here with you all. Today, my soul crush is a woman who I saw give a talk in LA on the feminine. And a lot of the things that she shared, which she also shares in this episode, just really satisfied a deep hunger and uh, quenched a thirst in my heart around what the feminine means. Because as we know, there's lots of ideas out there, but really grounding it down in this way that felt very inclusive to all beings and all things, and also just her profound way of speaking and sharing from the heart has really moved me, and I felt like I got a healing session in the, in the talk I went to that she gave that was just so powerful. So I'll read you a little bit about her, and then I'm going to read you a poem that she wrote and read at that talk that I also really loved, and then I'm just really excited for you to hear and learn more about her, and, and her wisdom that she shares in this episode is, is very healing and, and very connecting. Reina Manuel Paris, born, born in Paris, France, lived in England, and then moved to the United States in her early 20s. Her love of transformational storytelling has taken her from an MFA in film from Columbia University to a PhD in mythological studies and depth psychology. She's a published writer of nonfiction, poetry, and several scholarly articles, as well as a documentary filmmaker. Her understanding of what gives meaning to daily life has led her to work with dreams and to include meditation practice in her classrooms. She also speaks on several subjects, including love, primal agent of change, war, trauma, and spiritual transformation, and the major arcanas of the tarot as a a sacred life path. The cradle and the crown is her passion. It is a unique process she has developed over time. With it, she helps people recover their natural innate joy and claim a felt sense of inner authority. She has been learning the frame drum, the ancient drum of the priestesses, and natural horsemanship with a great teacher and trainer, Chris Subinis. To come to a deeper understanding of the self and our connection to the mystery and magic of this life, one must embrace the relationship between ourselves and the world around us. One must have the awareness that we are a part of the natural world, not separate from it. This poem is called, God is a Black Woman Writer. God is a Black Woman Writer. Her name is Maya, Tony, and Angela. God is a Black Woman Writer. Alice Walker, Sister Outsider. God is a Wild Woman Writer. Oh, 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 what a numinous power. God is a Wild Woman Writer. Because pale and male is not forever. And you got to know Mirabai and Sylvia. And you got to know Emily and Juna. And you got to say yes and hallelujah. And you got to say yes and hallelujah. And God is a wild dancer, a winter night shapeshifter, 
a newborn cosmic dreamer, because your mother needs a prayer, and anything dead coming back to life hurts, because never having your own life hurts, and you got to love your flesh, you got to love your flesh, and you got to love your hands, because they won't, you know they won't, they would rather cut off your hands and tear out your heart if they can and sew up your lips and keep you silent. Yes, keep you silent. But you are not born to be a slave. No, no, no. Not a slave to history or family, bigotry or patriarchy. No, you are not born to be a slave. And you got to say yes and hallelujah. And you got to say yes and hallelujah. And the way forward is with a broken heart, all the way down to the wet ground of the heart, because it's all about love. It's always been about love. Your inside eyes you must trust before it all turns to dust. They show you a new vision, your genius heart life mission, dancing like a maenad and praying like a nomad, gathering all the storms because you never had a home, and there is n and there is no time to rewind the trap of your embattled mind. Because it's never been about making sense. No, it's never been about making sense. It's always been about making self. Oh yes, it's always been about making self. God is a wild woman writer. And your broken, broken, broken heart is the healer. And you got to say yes and hallelujah and you got to say yes and hallelujah <sighs> so thank you for joining us here and I hope that you enjoy this episode please give us a rating on iTunes and send me any of your feedback and inquiries reach out to me and you can reach out to Raina if you are looking for any support and around you know all of this deep beautiful work that I know you're all doing in your own hearts and lives and so I just want to say thank you for doing that and, and for making the changes that require a lot of courage to make and I know that so many of you um, work really hard so I hope you're taking good rest in in the midst of all of that and I hope to connect with you soon. In a way that the masculine principle is more about dissecting or has a more, if you will, like almost scientific outlook on things where it's right. cut up, cuts up into little pieces, whereas the feminine principle will bring things together mm. and likes yeah. to look at the wholeness of something. Yeah. And the relationship with something as opposed mm. to the distance Mm. Right. So those are all things that, you know, I'm interested in. Great. And of course, love, you know, yeah. Yeah. what, what, what is that about? <laughs> exactly. So one of the things that I read um, that was on your, on your website, on your bio that, you know, when I saw you speak, you did speak a lot about the, the feminine principle and it felt like such a relief to hear it spoken about not just as a quality as you know this is feminine this is masculine and we all have these two energies and things that i i understood but i i feel like your expression and um, articulation of the feminine principle really pulled something out that i feel is so necessary in this moment this heightened moment of you know, women's empowerment and, and men, you know, the whole thing is such a mess. It feels like sometimes and very painful sometimes. So I would love if you could just expand, yeah, on, on that feminine um, principle of relatedness is how I remember you kept saying, and it really stuck with me. And I was like, ah, oh, because <laughs> the desire to relate is so strong sometimes. And I find when it's met with resistance and heartbreak and things that I at least, and I know I'm assuming many of us just naturally experience in life, it can be 
discouraging, you know? And so when I heard you speak to it as this relatedness, um, it was, it was really, I don't know, it felt like it healed something, uh, healed a desire in me that always feels very natural, but that has sometimes been pushed away um, that, you know, I, I feel like I hold it back or something. So I'd love to yeah. hear more on that. Yeah. Well, I think there's the, the, the idea of love as related to the feminine principle is actually kind of helpful. Um, because it's, you know, all right, let me just start with the feminine. Um, and I really, really love the work of Marion Woodman, the Jungian analyst, because she, for me, articulates it really well. Mm. And she talks about, you know, the feminine principle, as you mentioned, as a principle of relatedness. But the problem is, is that it's been suppressed in both men and women because we live in a society that really um, upholds more masculine or patriarchal notions of being driven, of success, of, you know, imposing a certain way that you have to look and all these things that actually um, separate us from who we really are. It's this idea that um, the Buddhist teacher Tara Brach talks about, this severed belonging, mm. where you have this separation from yourself. Mm. Because the feminine principle is, instead of breaking things off into different parts, which is a very masculine approach, a very Apollonian way of like examining things scientifically, mm. right? The feminine principle says, where are we alike? Mm. How can we connect? Where can I find that love line between the two of us that we can, you know, relate on from that place? Can you listen to me, right? This ability to truly listen to the other one without having a, an answer ready or another question ready, but actually spending the time to really listen to the other person in a way that's without an agenda. That is almost impossible for us. <laughs> I so mean, truly, that is almost impossible. So how do you... You know, when, if you cannot truly listen without an agenda, if you can't really connect to the other person, if you can't really hear what the other person is saying, if you cannot really see who they really are in their heart, in their vulnerability, then how can you relate to that person, mm. right? How do you relate and how can you even bring love to the, into the equation. Mm. So there is a very old um, myth, uh, which is one of the Arthurian legends um, of Sir Gawain and Lady Ragnall. And the, the, the main point of the story is that the men have to find out what women really want mm. and they can't mm. they are unable to find it they look they ask everybody until they find until this woman comes forth and says i will tell you but you'll have to you know marry me mm. and she is under a disguise where she looks like a horrible witch mm. right and the two things from her point of view, right? The two things that women want most is one, to be seen in their true heart, to be seen in their vulnerability mm. and to have dominion over their own lives, mm. which when you think about what's happening in the climate, you know, political climate today, it's like women are still asking for that in yeah. some ways. They still yeah. need that. Yeah. And so um, what happens is 
So because they have the answer, then Arthur is saved and he doesn't, he's not going to get killed by this terrible knight. And then Gawain has to marry this woman who looks like a horrible witch. And the woman has a sense of herself. She has a sense of her own worth, Mm. right? So even though she's really, really ugly, she's got these beautiful clothes and this beautiful horse and she comes in and she says, no, I'm going in through the front door. I don't care what other people think. Mm -hmm. And so, so finally the, the wedding takes place and then she's alone with him at night in the room and Gawain can't bear to look at her. And she says to him, why don't you look at me? I am your wife now. And when he turns around to look at her, She's this beautiful, beautiful woman. She looks like moonlight. Mm -hmm. And he's like, wow, what happened? And she basically tells him that there's been a curse put on her by her evil brother and stepmother. That um, she will be ugly during the day and her beautiful self at night. And then she tells Gawain, um, you can choose, Mm. you know, Um, for you, I can be either one or the other. I can't be both all the time. So will you choose to have me beautiful during the day so all your friends and knights can see what a beautiful woman you're with and so you can be proud of that and, you know, show off to your friends but then I'll be ugly between the sheets when it's just the two of us. Yeah. Or will you have the other where I'll be really ugly and all your friends will be sorry for you because you've married this such this horrible looking woman, but you'll have a beautiful woman for you. And what Gawain does when he looks at her is say, I cannot decide this for you. You have to decide what you want. And because he surrenders and gives her authority of her own life, sovereignty Mm. over her own life, it completely breaks the curse. Mm. So there is this whole idea of, um, for women, where being seen in their vulnerability and having sovereignty over their own life is kind of an essential ingredient to being in an equal relationship with a man. Mm. And this is an Arthurian legend. It's a long time ago. And yet, for me, there is such profound truth and relevance to what's happening today. Absolutely. Still. Absolutely. So that is, that's why I, Mm. I see this quality of the feminine principle of being in relationship with the other, of really truly seeing the person in their authentic self, Mm. right. And being who they truly are as completely related to love. Mm -hmm. Because if you can't see someone in their authentic self, in their vulnerability, and if you don't give them sovereignty over their own lives, where they can make, you know, they're free to decide what they want on their own and bring themselves as who they really are to a relationship. How can you really have a love that, you know, goes back and forth between the two people? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, it makes so much sense. And as you were sharing that, thank you for sharing that story. It's amazing to me how relevant it is, you know, and, um, well, we're still, you know, thinking about, you know, struggling with the idea of Roe versus Wade and a woman having authority and sovereignty over her own body. Yeah. Right. And her yeah. life, you know, yeah. in some countries it's even, you know, much worse than here too. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, how can you have love between two people if one is trying in some form or another, trying to control the other Right. And there's such ingrained, you know, things. And I think even in my people that I know that have, you know, really awakening paths and hearts, you know, these tendencies are unconscious, right? And they come into consciousness. And then, you know, so it, it feels like to me, 
a lot of that of moving. I was listening to um, a podcast um, called Love and Liberation that my friend Olivia Clementine um, offers, and she was interviewing this um, woman named Susan um, Piver, and she was talking about just you know, the projections of hope and fear, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, how that's so predominant in our relating. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm curious what you, what you feel about that and, and, and what else, (laughs) what else there, what else is there? (laughs) Well, where, you know, when, when, where fear lives, um, love is negated automatically. You can't have both fear and love at the same time. Mm So that's why I think those qualities of relatedness, of being with the other, of being able to truly see them and listen to them is what also can dispel the fear of being vulnerable to another human being. Mm -hmm. Because if you're truly in relationship with the other, then it's not about, ooh, you know, how are they going to perceive me? Or what do I look like? Or uh, are they going to try to control me? Or am I, you know... It, it kind of helps let go of all the unconscious fears mm. because you are in this sense, this relatedness, you know, mm. that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and if you really focus in, you know, on really listening, then you're not as concerned with how you are going to be perceived or with your own internal fears. Mm. Um, I, I think, you know, family and society have a lot to answer for in terms of giving us a lot of negative beliefs and, and limiting beliefs about love. I mean, if you go back to, you know, how people perceived love in ancient times, well, they knew love was a god hmm. and was incredibly powerful. Yeah. And, and all of our ideas about love today actually have their roots in, in uh, l'amour courtois, in romantic love, which, was, which started in, you know, in France with um, Eleanor of Aquitaine. And, and, and it was also a spiritual idea to begin with. So I think, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's an emotional, spiritual, and physical thing. It's like all of these things come together. Mm-hmm. And, and looking back at um, the, the first idea of romantic love, of l'amour courtois, that, you know, the Queen of France, Eleanor of Aquitaine, really started, and her father before her, with all the troubadour movement, you realize that it was a way to kind of shift, shift the idea that men had about women mm. and to start seeing them in their power and their beauty mm. as, opposed, as opposed to just property or something nice to look wow. at. Yeah. And, and they, they would, um, what she did is had all the knights, you know, and the whole movement of chivalry was also connected to romantic love. And it was all about really seeing the, the, the lady as the object of divine love. And so dedicating your life and all of your great heroic acts to that lady Hmm. that was your love. And it was, it was supposed to be, you know, as much of a spiritual love as a physical love, mm-hmm. you know, and an emotional love. So when you look at those roots, you realize that very often, you know, you fall in love with the image of something, but there is so much more mm-hmm. that actually needs to happen between two souls, you know, on a soul level mm-hmm. for things to really be able to work. I mean, we're still trying to figure this thing out together, you know, (laughs) this whole love relationship thing, because it is, you know, a a path to the divine, you know, it is a path of transformation and Mm -hmm. love will bring everything unlike itself to the surface. Mm -hmm. You know, we can be the most unloving to the people that we love the most because we know them. Mm 
mm-hmm. right? So we can hit all those buttons. So yeah. love is like the, the biggest, you know, cleaning product <laughs> you can use in your life because it brings everything up. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Because it's, it's because it wants, you know, the soul is always yearning for wholeness and healing. Mm. So whatever is not love or not loving mm. in you, whatever beliefs have, have contracted you inside, right? Mm-hmm. Then love will hit those, those places and bring them up. Yes. That's why, you know, we often find ourselves, and I work with a lot of people, and so I know I'm not alone, <laughs> saying, why am I doing this again? You know, like, or this feeling of like, you know, hitting the same, you know, wound and, you know, my experience of, you know, that happening in love, you know, and, um, and learning how to, how to care for that, you know, part of ourselves or that, you know, for that part of myself and then know how to engage with another inside of that. Because when I'm not in a romantic relationship, it's a different story. You know, there's other sets of things that arise, but it's very different um, for me uh, when I'm in that. So thank you for sharing all that. And I would love to hear more about that connection between our inner worlds and the outer world, because I feel especially right now having this whole past year and longer, of course, but especially this past year of so many dark shadows, you know, like, like they've been there and we've known, but like they're really were like extreme to where it seems like people couldn't ignore anymore. And my path is very much one of, showing up to serve others, but really continuously going back inside, like never stopping. It doesn't seem like, and I don't really want it to, but that inner experience, I really do find reflects on the outside, but then there's this other collective that, you know, I'm like, okay, that's a big job. You know, do we just keep gathering more and more of us that are doing this to like counter it? Or what is the idea? Like, where is the, where is the real change, you know? Yeah. And I know on my own personal little consciousness and world, I've experienced it um, a little bit, you know, here and there. Yeah. And so, yeah. I think one of the, the great problems that we have in our, in our Western society is that we think we're sa- separate from nature. Mm. And... And that the sense of order, of natural order of things, a sense of, of nature working the way it's meant to work is kind of missing a lot in our world. You know, we're very aware that with climate change and the droughts we have in California, fires and extreme weather things that we see all around us. And we somehow think we're like, that's a thing that's happening on the outside, Mm. right? But if you just look at it a little bit closer, first of all, even just from a scientific point of view, you know that you're part of what's happening, Mm -hmm. right? Because of the way our society and our world has evolved and all the industries that have have been producing you know, CO2s, whatever, all of these things contribute to what's happening on the outside. Mm. And on a, on this, there's a, there is a, um, a feeling that somehow we're separate from that. Mm. Whereas, um, and, you know, scientists know this, it's like any organism, whether it's human or non-human, cannot be really studied or seen separately from its environment, Mm. right? And the the philosopher Alan Watts said once, we are not born into nature, but from it, right? Mm. There is a balance between the two, between the organism and the environment, which is absolutely fundamental to a sense of homeostasis. Mm. This dynamic state of equilibrium, which is the condition for the optimal functioning of any organism, including any human being. Mm. So it, where there is the lack of balance, there is ill 
health of some sort or another, however it manifests. Mm -hmm. um, well, I could tell you another great story about the relationship between the inner world and the outer world. Great. Which is, it's a, it's a true story, which actually it's in my um, new, newsletter that I'm just publishing this month. But um, it's the story of the rain, Rainmaker, which uh, was reported to the uh, psychologist, uh, Carl Jung, by a friend of his. And he reports it as a true story. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting because it's also about drought in some way. And I think we, we live in a world where there is not just physical drought in the world, but there is a, a spiritual, mm. you know, an emotional drought in many ways. Mm. Um, um, anyway, um, it's this story that happened in somewhere in China and, and the man, Richard Wellam was this, um, this man who, um, talked about the story at a club in Zurich, a psychological club in the early 1920s. And there was a drought in this ancient Chinese province and it was so severe that people and animals were dying. And all these religious leaders attempted to get relief by, you know, appealing to their gods, like the Catholics were making processions, Protestants were they saying prayers, Chinese were firing guns to frighten away the demons and so on. So finally they call, they, they remember that there is this little old man in another province that's called the Rainmaker. And they, they call him, they go get him, they find him, they bring him back. Um, and the old man, when he arrives, immediately requests a, a small hut on the outskirts of the town. Mm -hmm. And he locks himself up there for three days and nights asking to be left alone. Mm -hmm. And then on the fourth day, it rained. As a matter of fact, even though it was like summer, not only did it rain, but it snowed. Mm -hmm. So it was complete miracle. Everybody was thrilled. So the, um, the Richard Wellam, the, the Chinese scholar, uh, wanted to know how did the guy make it rain? Like what happened, right? And he was allowed to interview the rainmaker and the old man responded by, he didn't do anything. He's not responsible. He, did, he didn't do anything. So Willem said, yeah, but there was a huge drought until you arrived. And then after, after you're here for three days, not only does it rain, but it even snows. So something happened. What did, what did you do in there? So the old man explains that he came from another province where things were in order with nature. They were in Tao. But here in this province, things were out of order. And so he also was out of order because of the environment. And it took him three days to regain Tao or order. Tao is a Chinese word for order. And then, of course, naturally, what was supposed to happen, happened, mm. which is rain. Mm. So then you start thinking, right, is this sense of order, of oneness with nature, which is the Tao, is that an inner personal phenomenon or is there correspondence between this inner world and the outer world, mm. right? And Kayun talks about this a lot, you know, in terms of this synchronicity, mm. uh, where our inner states have a bearing on the outer events. Mm -hmm. And then of course the outer events mirror back our inner state of yeah. being, mm -hmm. right? So this, this concept of interdependence, right? Between the inner world and the outer world is not actually, you know, unusual in many other parts of the world. They know about this, right? It's a very Buddhist notion. But it's also, you know, what I was mentioning before, this idea is also very present in, in science, right? I was talking about this idea of homeostasis. Mm -hmm. You cannot observe any organism without its environment. Mm -hmm. Everything is connected. Every thought we have, everything that we do, that we feel, has a bearing mm -hmm. on our environment. We are not, we, we may feel like we are disconnected from from life or disconnected from nature, but we are actually 
absolutely one with it in that sense. So, um, I, uh, and you see this natural order of things. I'm, I'm, I ride horses. I love horses. And you see this, horses are naturally ambidextrous. They don't, they don't favor left side or right side, right? They have that perfect balance naturally, right? That's, that, that's how they are born. But if you give them to a rider who, is, who favors either his left side or right side, left-handed or right-handed, then pretty soon you can have a horse that becomes imbalanced huh. like or will be able to you know take his left lead like he'll start l galloping always with his left foot front first mm -hmm. or the opposite with his right foot front first but that's not because of who he is it's because what he's adapted to because of the rider yeah yeah so this is just this a, an example of interaction between the mm. you know nature and who we are and how it affects us yeah and i think that if we really understood this inseparability from the universe that it's so fundamental to our existence mm. i think it would be such a gift because most of us tend to act like we are aliens and we are here to conquer you know <laughs> this planet or something yeah um and of course, it's both a problem and a gift. You know, we're, we're yeah. not, we, you know, every action we take, every thought we have has a consequence, mm. whether it's intended or not. Right. And so it's the same in relationships. Mm. We, you know, you can be like, you know, really bad mood and like the energy you send out in your environment will affect everyone around you. Mm -hmm. It can. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's just a little example, but it's, it's so fundamental to who we are. Mm. Right. We, we suffer so much from this, you know, sense of severed belonging. Like we are not really, you know, here on some level, like we're not really loved or seen or known. Mm -hmm. Right. And we, we yearn for, for connection and then we cover it up with all kinds of things like we use all kinds of stuff or we get you know angry about our stuff or we get depressed but i think that has to do with if i can put it this way in this drought of the soul as opposed to the truth of our being which is that we are so we are nature we are life we are love fundamentally mm. right mm. and at the same time we don't have <clears throat> any control over you know the outer events right there's nothing it's i mean i think that if there is something that people are more aware of today than ever is that you can't really control anything out there mm -hmm. right in terms of what politicians are going to do what the society is going to, what the government is going to do you know all of these things are so intense yeah and so i think that we have even more today whether it's because or in spite of the technology i'm not sure but we have that sense of impermanence and transience and all of that because mm. we we kind of move so fast, right? Uh, the internet moves so fast. And it's like, where do you find that still point, right? Where you can remember that you have this incredible participation in life, mm. that your essence is one of absolute inseparability from life. Right. That's like the heart of love is this incredible universe. We're part of this planet that we are part of. So, you know, then the question comes again. It's like, 
how do I bring things back into Tao, into order, right? Mm -hmm. in, in a time of like disorder. Mm. And the story that I told you about the rainmaker, it's like the answer is within, mm -hmm. right? It's like we have to get ourselves in order, mm. right? And that's the responsibility of each one of us. It's, you know, and, and I guess restoring harmony in myself, in oneself, then we can, then there is a possibility of acting upon the world in a way that makes soul sense, mm -hmm. right? That creates more order instead of disorder. Mm. That creates Tao. And to me, that's love, mm. right? Where you come from a place in your life where what, what you create comes from that deep sense mm -hmm. of inner order. Yeah. Right. And so what you create is beauty, is love, if it comes from that place. Yeah. And, and you, that's, you know. Yeah. Do you feel like that's a, it's an ever unfolding dance returning to that place? Oh, it never ends. Right. Because we get pulled into disorder all the time mm. right even like in the story the rainmaker comes from a place where everything is in order in Tao. but yet the moment he arrives at this other province he's immediately put into you know disorder because of the environment yeah and and so how do you create your own inner environment that can nourish you enough so that you can come back to yourself and come back into Tao? Mm because so much out there pulls us into all these different directions. And I think it's very easy to be out of order, to be out of Tao mm -hmm. all the time. And how can you truly love, you know, yourself or another human being when you're ha are in this state, you know, of disorder. Mm -hmm. So it's so essential you know, so essential to come back to ourselves and to get into a deep sense of remembering, mm. you know, our inseparability mm. from the nature that is sustaining us, from the earth, from life. Yeah. How do you do that? How do I do that? I do that uh, with meditation i do that with writing i do that riding my horse yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or walking you know walking my puppy in nature for me nature is a great source of yeah of restoring that sense of connection of, of relatedness and and order mm -hmm. um but it's in every moment it's like am yeah. i am i here in this moment you know is this moment like coming from a place of order or disorder, mm. right? Like asking myself that question mm -hmm. and then being willing to, to stop and take a moment and say, okay, what's really going on? Mm -hmm. Am I acting out of a place of disorder or am I acting out of a place of order, right? Mm. Um, Thomas Merton said, you know, what can we gain by, you know, sailing to the moon? if we're not able to cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves. Mm. And I think that the, the inner world, you know, is infinite and vast. And that we are, if we're not in relationship to that, I think we're in a great deal of trouble. Mm -hmm. and I think also for me, one of the other things is working with dreams because dreams is that connection that, you know, through the unconscious, that connection that the soul makes to the conscious mm. it's a bridge yeah and so that's a great source you know in terms of really examining where you're coming from are you coming from a place of order or disorder mm. in this moment in this conversation in yeah. this relationship in this interaction in my work you know all these places mm -hmm.
Yeah, it's a really beautiful like touch point, you know, to to have because I think then we get that's where when we don't have that in the same way that I feel very similar to meditation and just spending time in nature it's really hard to know even, you know, yeah. where, where we are or, you know, forget about belonging. It's like, even knowing yeah. that, even knowing that we're here is like a yeah. big deal. That took me a really long time to get to, yeah. you know, and then this sense of, um, you know, re- relatedness is, is almost feels like, yeah, a different piece. I would love if you would share a little bit of your work around and some of your insights around addiction and um, something that I read a little bit is, is some people that have gone through, and I, I can relate to this personally, having um, gone through addiction and I've been sober for some years now, and just how you can get sober, say that's you know, someone's path is that they need to be free from drugs and alcohol, yet the, the person that you are before and after initially drastically changes it feels like and then there's a lot of things that don't change (laughs) there's a lot of things like anxiety and um just feeling uh free you know and and in the sense of fearless to to share you know your gifts or or you know these kinds of things that i think can really help um, yeah, can get stuck sometimes. And I think this is true for a lot of people, not just people that struggle with um, addiction, but especially with that, you know, what do you, what can we do around, you know, those things within all of us that just don't really go away? You know, they're kind right. of just there. I mean, I hear that all the time from my therapist, like, well, you know, that's like the thing that's just gonna like, you know, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> She's going to be here, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's <laughs> so fascinating because that's, that's really uh, what fascinates me the most. Mm. Um, because of my own struggles and my own, you know, work. And also that's, that's where my work has been going. The, the seminars and workshops I've been teaching, uh, like the cradle and the crown work I've done. And it's all about that because um, we have, and this has been, you know, studied scientifically and so on. We have a negative bias in our brain, right? Naturally. Um, And it's evolved over thousands of years where we have a tendency to remember negative experience much more strongly, much more intensely than positive ones. Why? It's a matter of survival. It's like, oh, I have to remember when I almost got killed by this, you know, saber-toothed tiger. And so I better, you know, get ready. If I see something big and fast coming towards me, I better run like hell the other way. Mm -hmm. But this is still there, that negative bias, that that survival instinct about I'm going to be, you know, if I don't do something about this, if I don't run out of here or save myself, I'm going to be dead. Mm-hmm. And that's really powerful instinct in us. Mm. And our brain really uh, um, has very strong memories of difficult experiences. Mm. They're stuck in our brain in the, those neurological pathways get, you know, like deep, deeply hooked into for survival purposes, to help us survive. Uh, the problem is today we have different kinds of, you know, difficulties and problems. And very often they become like these repetitive habits that are very difficult to change. And so it's important to learn that, you know, fortunately your brain has neuroplasticity. It can be changed. It can shift, but that takes consistent work over time. Yeah. And um, I have found there's a couple of things that I've worked with uh, to help people in that way. And one is that if you have um, a memory of something wonderful happening to you, 
especially when you were a child, because there's still that kind of openness to life that maybe gets closed down the older you get. Mm. So starting from what I, what I call the cradle or the cradle of joy, which is remembering and focusing on a particular memory from childhood where you felt a deep sense of well-being and openness and joy. Mm. And even if you've had a incredibly difficult childhood, which actually most of us have some form of problems in their childhood, right? Right. Uh, we don't come out of there, you know, unscathed. But most of us will have at least one experience, one memory, one image of a moment in their childhood where they had that sense of freedom and happiness and joy, like they felt really good. Hmm. And when I work with people, I help them really get in touch with that experience, which means writing, writing about it, sharing it, bringing it up. I do guided meditation where you bring up that image. Yeah. And I call this the cradle because it's about reconnecting with the source of what those qualities really mean and what they really represent, mm. right? That, that almost archetypal quality of freedom, of well-being. How does that feel in your body? Mm -hmm. And so we anchor that sense, right, of well-being and love over time. Something to come back to, like a cradle, a place of safety where you feel a sense of wholeness and well-being. Mm -hmm. And practicing that, and that's just the first part of this whole thing, but yeah. practicing that is like the, ant the first antidote to that negative bias. So that every time you get into fear, self-doubt, self-hate, right, right, all those yeah. old patterns self-judgment, mm -hmm. criticism, rage, all those things that yeah. really just, you know, very destructive to the health of the body and also to just your life in general and your relationships. Yeah. You start being able to bring up that cradle, that sense of well-being and joy, mm. right? Where it becomes almost second nature because mm. the memory was already there in right. your brain to begin with. Mm. right so it's expanding and and reinforcing something that's already part of you mm. and making it bigger like expanding your your field of awareness if you will yeah right Super powerful yeah and that's just the beginning then we work I mean, do you want me to talk more about this <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'd love to hear just yeah the process okay. of it yeah. okay it's kind of a fairly lengthy process, but it's, it's so powerful and, and definitely well worth it because it's very helpful. Yeah. Um, there's a second part and a third part. In the second part, we review some of the most obvious uh, limiting beliefs that the things that we constantly tell ourselves, right? On a regular basis. And where, where are those, you know, Come. So we'll have like a list or the, the ones that stick out the most, mm. like, um, you know, I, I can never, you know, I can't, I, I mean, I, I'd like to have a relationship, but I can't trust men, mm -hmm. for instance, or, um, well, that's for somebody else. I can't have that in my life mm -hmm. or you know, I can't ever be really, you know, happy until this happens mm -hmm. or um, I'm really um, afraid of, you know, being seen. Mm -hmm. All these things, right, that we tell ourselves, these limited beliefs. So what we do, that's this kind of the second step is to look at these and where they come from and what they're based on, right? Because they are really either limiting or false beliefs. You know, what is the truth, you know, or the person who thinks they're not really a good person, right? Because of something that they did maybe, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. So looking at those 
limiting beliefs and then finding again it's like finding the antidote or the right medicine or the homeopathic remedy and shifting it into a um a new mantra like every time this one comes up you have the the remedy for it the mantra for it so it's again like creating a new pathway in neurological pathway in your brain yeah every time you tell yourself that you have the mantra that goes with it right which is a new reality that you're creating and then the third step is about it's kind of what i call the crown part which is that sense of inner authority of actually having that sense of confidence and belief in yourself mm. and again either you, we create the image or again we go to memory where and this is as the adult you had one experience and all you need is one you don't need like 10 or 100 right you just need one same with the, the childhood memory one experience where you really felt like in that moment you were the author of your own life you were the agent of your own life and you had a sense of inner authority and confidence in yourself mm -hmm. and all you need is that one moment and then we work with it we write about it we really meditate with it and i do like a guided meditation with someone with it and so at the end what you bring together right you you have that you relate both the cradle of joy with the crown of inner wisdom mm. right so that you can then start acting from this place of understanding who you are as a human being mm. which is a much larger thing than just your old beliefs about yourself mm -hmm. yeah it's powerful. but it's a it's a practice you know it's like a meditation practice yeah because you are creating new you know, neurological pathways in your brain mm -hmm. instead of getting down that same old route you know oh no let's go to the right or let's go to the you know yeah that's what's happening and you're using your own memories to work with that. Yeah, right? I love that because it's, it's something feels like so much um, just re like almost integrating, you know, also parts of ourselves that, you know, exactly. that are already there, but that you haven't you haven't uh, been able to get the gold from it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That will really help you to get into, you know, the next stage of your life of being yeah. this you know beautiful whole being yeah and i love that because i feel so often it can seem like we need something you know on the outside to heal us or you know there's just this ongoing you know belief Search for something that, out there yeah, yeah or just that you know yeah. this thing or that thing and yeah. you know i mean it does get tricky because like you said it is an ongoing practice and same you know my experience is that as well and sometimes it does mean something on the outside and of somebody course. like you supporting and you know it does yeah. mean that and it's you it is this integration of what's yeah it's, it, but it's about supporting your own inner process so that at mm -hmm. some point you know it's like having a mentor that's yeah. what mentor is meant to be. It's like yeah. to help or guide that guides you to, back to yourself. Yeah. You know, in yeah. a deeper way. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful, I'm so grateful that, you know, you do this work and uh, you just made me feel so happy to, like when you said it like that, it just brought a lot of joy into my own heart because I have a lot of mentors in my life and I mentor a lot of people and, you know, it just really is making me feel the, you know the the juicy like good feeling part of it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah sometimes yeah. it feels like why or whatever you know like all these other ideas about it but you know it's so beautiful to be you know it's something that i i enjoy it more than yeah. a lot of other things in life you know is being yeah. guided back to um that that place because it's yeah. also always new it feels like each time um that you're guided back home in that way you know there's a new there's a sense of newness in it yeah and it's a it's kind of a beautiful sense of hope homecoming and it's this realization that you just need to discard what covered up the gold yeah. that is at the essence 
Yes. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Um, it's been such a, such a pleasure to receive your wisdom and just, oh, my pleasure. Um, yeah, I'm, I was so glad I could pin you down. I was like, I re I saw you speaking. I was like, I need to talk to her and <laughs> I need to know more about what she's doing. And so thank you. I know um, people listening will get so much out of, you know, just that little bit that you shared and sure. Um, well, do you have anything coming up? I mean, I'll include a link you know, to your website and to oh, all yeah, the absolutely. Yeah. I'm always, I mean, I'm currently consistently working. It's on all on my website. I mean, Great. I can go back and I just had a, a newsletter that came out, but you, you, uh, you, you, you got it out of me anyways, most of it about you know, <laughs> the story and all of that. Yeah. I love storytelling because I think it's, it's, it's a wonderful way to learn things, but, um, yeah, just my website, you know, www.rainaandparis.com is the best place. And you, you, you can see things about the work I do with the, the cradle and the crown and some of my other seminars. And I have like some upcoming classes I'm going to be teaching at the uh, Philosophical Research Society. And then I'll be doing another talk, you know, early next year. So it's great. You can find it all on there. And, Beautiful. Yeah. I actually have one last question. I almost forgot. Sometimes I forget this one. Um, but I like to ask people um, who somebody that you would consider a soul crush, somebody that could be Ooh. somebody alive or somebody that, you know, has really had an influence. I know it's sometimes hard to pick one, but if you could choose one that we could, you know, open our hearts and minds to as well. Oh, well... <laughs> that's a very difficult question because I, I i go to a lot of old dead poets yeah about soul crush yeah i like that <laughs> um that works i mean any of yeah that. yeah there's a an incredible german poet uh his name was uh, reiner maria rilke mm. and um he was also a mentor to younger people and mm. And, um, of course, he talks about love and, you know, he said, love is difficult, but that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, if it was so easy, then we wouldn't, you know, put the price to it that we do. Mm. And it takes time and, um, and it is a lot of inner work and, and loneliness too. But it is, you know, the great pearl. Mm. So yeah <laughs> thank you thank you for thank you so much finding me yeah yeah absolutely well thank you all for listening and you can always send any notes my way if you have any feedback or any questions and i'm just sending you all lots and lots of love and some really deep breaths full of belonging and full of all of the things that your soul is really needing to taste and see and experience in this moment. So thank you for listening. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Ooh.